Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent politics and media podcast, streaming two thirds from New Zealand, one third from who who knows. Where are you? Where are you today, Bronco? Where have you ended up? Um, I'm in Chicago. I'm still in Chicago. Yeah, you um you broke up entirely saying that, and now you're frozen on my screen, and I only heard half those words. He's back. It seems like they're trying to silence me. Uh, no, I'm, I'm in Chicago. Great, fantastic. Um, and we've got Philip here as well. Hey, Philip. Hey, hey. Glad you're here to um, unpack some of the um, what green green political um, narrative that's been occurring over the last uh, week and a half. Well, but before we start now, I think we should probably uh, talk about the most important thing that happened this week, which is... In- incredible stuff. Course, incredible stuff. Phil Luxon's disgraceful dangerous uh foray into disinformation misinformation did i say fake news both of them fake news i would say uh uh lying to the new zealand public that he was into puke the, the the heart of kiwi fruit country when he was really holidaying in hawaii this is i mean you know people wonder why we had those protests in front of parliament why it does not seem to be a shared reality, a shared truth, a, a sense of community in New Zealand. And I would say all of that is entirely because of this yeah. uh, Facebook post. Our audience can't see, um, but I am I'm shaking my head and softly weeping. He's crying. He's for, crying. New Zealand, for New Zealand democracy. Yeah. And this, the symbolism of disrespecting Kiwi fruit country like that is, <laughs> is basically on the level of sedition, I would say. And we need to take this very seriously. It's I've a, heard it called economic terrorism. It's disinformatskaya, or uh, whatever made-up Russian term you want to use for it. It's uh, un-Kiwi, and fundamentally it's an, an issue of unsound leadership. Uh, I think yeah. uh, Judith Collins should come back. Before <laughs> he does any more damage to the uh, National Party, the great old National Party of New Zealand. He, he's a menace, and he needs to be stopped. Um... You know, truly, truly are Donald Trump. Um, no, no, of course, we're, we're not going to cover that. Who cares? Um, <laughs> it has been incredibly hilarious to watch, like, the confected meltdown um, over this. Um, obviously not a, a big issue. Like, no no one, no one really gives a shit. Uh, I mean, I mean not- sure, your social media team knows what they're doing like of course uh tell people where you are have you, uh, not, have you not been following the hashtag lion luxon hashtag uh, i've been following that for the last um how long has he been the leader uh, what i'm, what I'm learning from the um the ordinary everyday voters of twitter is that national's not fit to lead where before it seemed like a lot of those people uh, thought they were fit to lead so i think the worm has turned I, when the, when Luxon was just talking about you know uh, bottom feeders and about doing tax cuts uh, for rich people, I was like, yeah, that, that seems okay. Yeah. But now that he claimed that he was in Kiwi fruit country when he was really overseas, I know it's gonna it's yeah. gonna take a lot to build back the trust that he's lost with New Zealand people and with me in particular. It's um, <laughs> a laser this laser focus on perception politics, eh? Um, <laughs> And 
as, and and because it is one of the only things uh, that our our media and pundit um, political circuit is capable of really engaging with, or maybe even understanding, um, they try and make as much hay out of it as they can whenever it happens. Uh, yeah, you're right. No, it's a it's and a just scandal. Out of control. About, it's a scandal about our media rather than uh, <laughs> rather than really that much of a scandal about Luxon. It's like. This is this is the thing you guys prioritize, but no, we should we should talk about the thing that actually matters, um, and and I guess is the the big story of the week, uh, and and continuing uh, story from from uh, the last time we met here, which is uh, the uh, ongoing Greens leadership. Uh, I don't know it, what it, people usually call these uh, stoshes stooshes. Uh, that's the, that's the word, right? Usually, the people people enjoy. I think the there. word people are using uh, a lot of the same is yeah. coup. <laughs> coup, yeah. It's this is akin to January sixth and yeah, the January sixth of uh, the New Zealand Green Party. Yeah, definitely. Really. The young Greens uh, and the Green Left are storming um, the Green Party capital. Um, the figurative capital of, of Green Party. The, um, the police, which I guess would be the Green Party staffers, are all having heart attacks and uh, collapsing <laughs> and dying. Yeah, if they're even on duty. You can, you can cut that if that's too uh, insensitive to the American. A little, a little edgy, a little edgy. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. I think it's all fine. Right. Um, I don't. Um, yeah, we're good. Yeah. And who who would be the Mike Pence in this situation? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've actually just hit the wall on how far this metaphor goes. Um, is, wait, no, James, James Shaw will be Mike Pence. The you know the the one you know level headed normal guy who who wanted to do the right <laughs> thing, but was uh, 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 was 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 abandoned by his own uh, uh, people movement. Um, because of the fact that he refused to kowtow to their, their frankly irresponsible and radical. Uh, All he's trying to do is be a white man wearing a suit. And apparently if you do that in the 21st century, you get crucified and sent to prison. That's called identity <laughs> politics 101, Philip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and we all know, uh, of course, having having followed this, uh, this whole issue closely, that that was the the big uh, precipitating factor that led to to Shaw um, uh, uh, having to to contest for leadership again was uh, people tired of him wearing that suit, mm. just flashing that suit in people's faces every chance he got, flashing the fact that he was a Pakeha man, uh, which which you know the Greens have for a long time and quietly uh, disgusted uh, by. Uh, you know, there's been rumblings about that for a while, but now it's really hit deeper pitch. So, you know, I'm glad that there's an army of um, commenters who don't pay attention to any of this stuff and don't know what they're talking about, who are able to tell the public just exactly what is going on within the Green Party, why uh, people are so angry at their leader. Yeah, it's lucky they've been there to translate the arcane workings um, of a pretty transparent party that tells everyone how they work. Uh, <laughs> for the uh, bemused public, that's that's been really helpful. Um, you want to tell us what's actually been happening, Philip? Okay. Well, I mean, the main thing we talked about this last time, and you say it's an ongoing saga, but this is probably the last time we'll need to have a substantive conversation about this because all of the uh, people that would make sense or do well in a leadership race have now ruled themselves out. So. <laughs> Uh, but it's only been a week. I thought this was going to last months, all the way to 2023, and scuttle Labour's election chances. Yeah, this is mostly about Jacinda Ardern um, and Tapuki. 
uh, is what the commentary would love to be the case. Um, but no, back in uh, back in real life, the the way the leadership contest works that we spoke about last time is that these elections happen every year. Uh, this time is the first time the leader has not managed to maintain a seventy five percent support rating. So James Shaw needs to be re-elected or, you know, reopen nominations one, technically. So any Green Party member could run and all the MPs, who are obviously the highest profile members of the party, have been talking to their families and local branches and networks and people who would kind of support them, their various bases, I suppose, um, and been ruling themselves out one by one, <laughs> saying, oh, it's not a job I want. Um so the, la the last ones were Tiano Tuyono and Jan Logie, I think, were the, the final two to rule themselves out. So, uh, I just want to clarify, Ti Tiano's definitely ruled himself out. Yeah. Okay. As of yesterday, that's the most recent thing. Um, so okay. this is Sunday the 31st. So Tiano has just ruled himself out. Um, Tiano and uh, Julianne Genta had the most kind of, uh, I guess, challenging statements. They both said that they're going to hold Shaw to account uh, and make sure that he engages better with the membership. So I think the most interesting point, other than the fact that all MPs have now ruled themselves out of contention, is that James Shaw posted a lengthy kind of mea culpa on Facebook, um, basically saying that he acknowledges the discontent and that it's a real thing. Um, it's the first time he hasn't really like sidelined and ignored the internal complaints. Um, and he said that he was wrong. He thought that people who were upset about his leadership had just been upset about the fact that the Greens were in government. Um, and he obviously has no time for that for some reason. Um, but he said that it obviously goes deeper than that. There are a lot more people who are unhappy with his leadership and his disconnect from the party, which is what this whole thing has been about. <laughs> Any I mean, if he honestly believes that, but that's why people are unhappy with him. I mean, that that's itself speaks to a profound level of disconnect. Exactly, exactly. I think this is, it really proves how disconnected from the party had become because it's pretty clear why people are unhappy. Um, all of the media pieces that have been talking to delegates and talking to members who have problems with him, they all reference the fact that James Shaw isn't acting like a Green Party person. He's acting like a Labour person, you know? <laughs> and that's yeah. not because he's in government solely. It's because he's no longer connected to branches. He's not talking to grassroots membership enough. Um, he's not engaged with the processes of, of the party. He's just kind of become a little siloed minister for climate change. That seems like all he wants to do. But he basically acknowledged that in his Facebook post. He said, I haven't got the balance right between being a, uh, a minister and a leader of a political party, um, which is interesting because all of the kind of media around it don't acknowledge that. Even Even media articles that are thoroughly supportive of James don't read his own words and see that he's made this quite fundamental mistake as the leader of a political party, which he acknowledges. Like he gets it better than, you know, Matthew Hooten or whichever Herald journalist is going to write about these things. They all, they're continuing to try to sideline 30% uh, of the voters in this Green Party AGM. But yeah, it sounds like you've been um, maybe reading more of these hot takes than I have. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't. I mean, it's, it's been pretty uh, entertaining, I, I have to say. Um, I mean, it, it, similar to how uh, Shaw's words there point to his own disconnect uh, unwittingly, 
all of these pieces also are, are very revealing of a profound disconnect by the the, the people who uh, you know who, who we rely on to to get the news and make sense of what's going on in the world. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> I got to pull up this one by Josie Pagani that that came out. Uh, when was it? Yesterday, in fact, I think or two days ago. I'm just going to go from from just just the the, the first paragraph because it's a beauty. It really is. I don't know where James Shaw has failed in the eyes of some of his party while his co-leader Mahmoud Davidson succeeded other than his conventionality and maybe his identity. Not a boomer, but one rung down the intersectional ladder. He is white, male, and on the party website photo, he alone wears a suit. Now this, this basic idea, this very lazy kind of hack uh, analysis that, that, Shaw's white and male and he wears a suit and, you know, kind of like, is oh, he's too normal and conventional. Has been, uh, th that's been rife, I think, throughout this entire thing. Um, and, and it's basically, you know, maybe the leading kind of um, frame of analysis that people are using to, to make sense of what's going on, which is very telling because, you know, a lot of these people presumably uh, kind of find what they don't like about the Green Party is the Green Party's kind of uh, tendency to kind of go into identitarianism and kind of, you know, do that kind of symbolic stuff. But this is, they love that stuff. They love that stuff as long as it's the kind of identitarianism that they identify with. If it's identitarianism about, you know, suits, wearing fucking, fucking have men who are, um, who are kind of pragmatic, that, that's like an identity. For, for these people. And so you end up getting uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's 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 really amazing. And as Philip alluded to, uh, this this is another one of those pieces that was written after Shaw's own post um, and, and yet has failed entirely to take account of that. It's it's embarrassing not only that this, these people wrote this, uh, presumably getting paid for it, but then the websites actually published it like it's just and it's as, incoherent as, as Branko was saying like the first sentence of that piece <clears throat> i don't know where shaw has has failed right <laughs> you could have clicked on his facebook page and he has one he has one facebook post there that says this is where i this is i've identified where i failed it's this thing that members have been <laughs> for two to five years and then she could have just simply read <laughs> read his own post and then identified it and that could have saved her you know however many hours writing this trash piece <laughs> I mean, there's uh, another, just briefly, there's another part of that in that Josie Pagani article, which is just rife with um, nonsense. Like another thing she could have done before writing that piece is just like sit down and figure out what she thinks the word radical means. Cause she uses it to mean three or four different things across the course of that, of that article and just increasingly dissembles as, as time goes on, right. Through the different paragraphs, the different parts yeah. of that, that piece. Yeah. I should be clear. Yeah. That paragraph is not really the crux of the piece. There's a whole lot of other stuff in there that's not that much better, but it's slightly more substantive. Uh, and this is another thing that crops up in all these writings: the idea that Shaw, he's he's doing his best. He's pragmatic. He's he's working within the the realm of what's possible, and he's getting results. And you know, the the Green membership just don't respect that because they're crazy and radical, and you know that that they they're just unreasonable people who would just want to go as hard and as fast as possible. Um, that's basically the, the rest of the piece. And that's, that in itself is a, uh, a, a very common um, pattern among some of the other, the other writings. So another, another piece here I'm going to pull up is, is Liam Hare on his uh, Patreon. Hare complains 
that, uh, quote, the manner in which the Green Party has captured the conservationist agenda is probably counterproductive in several key ways. For so long as the protection of nature seems, uh, seemed to be inseparable from wacky economic ideas, it will be easy to dismiss political concern with the environment by its association with a political movement that is usually opposed to sound economic policy, often anti-science, and sometimes borderline anti-Semitic. Wow, really, really cranked, uh, cranked it up at the end there. Wow, uh, just, just went for it. Um, I mean, uh, beyond everything with that paragraph, the idea that the Green Party captured the conservationist agenda, I'm sorry, but uh, there's no party other than the Greens that has had a conservationist agenda at all. Yeah, because they or... captured it really early. <laughs> and no one else is going to get their dirty little mitts on it. It was a fierce fight as well. Uh, you know, there was a there was a lot of uh, famously uh, uh, mainstream political parties, uh, both Labour and, and National, were, were very eager to take up the conservationist cause, um, and the Greens had to really, yeah, really the values, the values in the in the seventies and eighties started this street fight with uh, Labour activists and National activists. Um, the the Muldoons, you know, the Muldooners. Uh, fighters on the street this is before the uh before the apartheid um the anti-apartheid tour fights there were actually more violent fights about who would get the conservationist agenda and the values party won just through the sheer strength of swinging their uh white people's dreadlocks into people's faces <laughs> you know actually what i heard is that labor and national just fought back and forth over it for decades decades and decades um and it was only when they were both exhausted that the cunning Greens were able to sneak in and just gather out the bits and pieces of the um, conservationist agenda. Yeah, uh, and put it in their pocket. And then no one else could see where it was. No. They couldn't. They <laughs> blinked and look, looked around, comedically double-taking uh, and just unable to see the conservationist agenda again. And to this day, they're still struggling to find out where the Greens put it. Political highwaymen, uh, really. <laughs> and, okay, okay, it continues... The piece continues, for all the handering by the more fundamentalist members of this party, it's quite hard to identify a position he has taken on more or less anything that indicates any kind of sympathy towards conservative or center-right politics. Uh, if he holds this, such positions privately, they are very well hidden in terms of his public statements. Now, th this is perfect because, again, it's the idea that, you know, God, we are no, what has he done? He hasn't said anything or done anything that, that betrays any sort of conservative politics. I don't know what James Shaw's politics are uh, specifically, you know, if we really get down to the weeds. Um, but I would say, you know, looking at the stuff he's done as the actually serving climate change minister as in, in, in power, as in, this isn't even about stuff he's saying and stuff he says he's going to do. There's a record of stuff. Power. Yeah, he's done stuff. You can evaluate it. And I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, New Zealand, in terms of, both its ambitions in terms of cutting uh, carbon emissions and in terms of, of, of its roadmap, it's just way less ambitious uh, than, than even the United States and the UK, which are not exactly governed by you know, left-wing radicals. It's the idea that, that a, a Green Party minister, a, green, a party that is, you know, as, as uh, Hare uh, complains about here, is kind of focused on the environment. Uh, has come out with climate change solutions that are basically uh, worse than conservative governments uh, across the way. Uh, that's a pretty damning indictment, I would think. Um, you know, but if you, 
of, of course, as always, if you're determined not to see or know something, then you don't ever have to, to, to deal with that, uh, which is what we're seeing. I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it does um, betray a, a certain kind of, uh, Liam here wouldn't want to hear this, but I think it betrays a fundamentally kind of liberal understanding of his like view on politics. And pretty much everyone in the kind of punditocracy in New Zealand has this kind of um, taking things at face value, uh, specific kind of understanding of, of atomized kind of items. So like, I don't want to say that James Shaw hasn't done anything. He's He's been, as people love to say, working very hard on climate change stuff. Um, but being impressed by the achievements that he's had really requires um, taking things at face value and really valuing like words and plans and targets and metrics and all this kind of like technocratic, fundamentally kind of liberal understanding of the way the politics works, right? And I'd say um, having a very low bar on it as well, given what happened at COP. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we were an embarrassment at COP. And yeah. that's not something that any of these pundits seem willing to engage on. There's a there's a really kind of a New Zealand exceptionalism and a a liberal kind of surface level willingness to engage with this stuff. Um, and you know, Russell Norman's been pretty good um cutting through it and saying, Well, what has this achieved? Like yeah, we have, you can write as many goals as you want, but what's changed? Like what what's actually changed at the fundamental structure of the way the economy works and the way that the uh, legislative process is engaged with, that governments can just not do this stuff if they don't want to. And Rod, Rod Orham wrote a piece, um, I think to just this morning, um, that was, you know, very defensive of James Shaw. I'm sure he's quite on the same page as him politically and it's similarly kind of liberal in his understanding of targets and, you know, technocratic solutions to these things. Um, but even he was saying, like, this just isn't anywhere near enough. It's not, it's not going to change the way that, you know, it, these people talk about, like, creating consensus around parliament to solve these problems. But in the same piece, he says that National has a disingenuous uh, interest in climate change. And if they get into power, we'll wind this all back. So what's the value of a consensus in a context where, you know, 50% plus chance that national act or the next government act wants to do nothing about climate change, if anything, make it much worse. National has a completely disingenuous interest in this stuff. They'll do the same thing as the key government did, wind this whole thing down to zero. So why compromise with these people, it's, right? It's crazy to me that apparently um, all national needed to do to severely undermine any climate policy from a majority Labour government with a Green Minister for Climate Change was say, oh, if you water this down, we'll vote for it with a kind of future promise that if they'd voted for it once, somehow that meant they could never um, go back on it. Yeah, and now we've got this piece of policy which is just not fit for purpose. Yeah, it, just that's not how politics works. Uh, in politics does not work by you uh, you pass or implement a program or pass legislation and then because everyone voted for it, it they, they maintain it. No, what it works is that uh, you pass something however however you can. And if you can get buy-in from other parties, that's great. And if you can't, well, too bad. You got you got to pass it. And then uh, by putting it in place, it uh, has a level of legitimacy and popularity, especially if you end up, um, if, it, if it has tangible 
uh, meaningful impacts of people's lives, actually improves their lives. So that regardless of, of what handshake uh, promise was made, regardless of what party ends up being in power later, regardless of anything, that piece of legislation of that program becomes impossible to dislodge afterwards because it's it's too uh, popular and, and it's now been sort of ingrained in, in, the, in the system. That's how it works. So it's not, you know, whether national votes for, you know, any given day and uh, does not really matter at all. Um, I mean, to me, reading a lot of these takes, I think what it really betrays, I mean, beyond, as we we're talking about the kind of just ignorance among a lot of pundits and and, and just 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 shallowness of analysis. Uh, I think it also points to the fact that, look, I mean, they don't really care about the climate. For that, that's why they're totally fine with Shaw um, and, and kind of little he's been able to, to uh, get out of being climate change minister, because at the end of the day, it's not really a priority for them. And that in itself, the fact that going to bat for him is is really a, an indictment um, as well, I think, of, of his leadership, unfortunately. Um, you know, these people don't care about uh, the climate. They, they think it's an issue that you can just sort of can you continue to kick down the road. I see it as an identity politics issue in itself, which is yes. insane. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, of course, you know, of course, uh, if you're someone who's completely unbothered by um, the impending disaster of climate change and not dismayed in the least that that New Zealand has not remotely pulled its weight uh, to try and rectify it uh, and that we're just basically sleepwalking into, into you know, possible uh, uh, catastrophe. If you don't care about that, then yeah, you, you would be puzzled probably by why people aren't happy with uh, James Shaw. You would be unbothered by the fact that, you know, uh, as, as part of securing all of these uh, uh, programs, he basically had to do a massive giveaway to the biggest polluters in this country, which is which is agribusiness. You, yeah, you wouldn't care. Um, and you would say, hey, let's have more of that. It would be great if that's the guy leading the Greens so that <laughs> nothing has to happen about this ever. Yeah, it's fundamentally a game to them, right? And their their political imagination is uh, constructed on the one hand by what um, the, I guess more like conservative part of the Green Party is willing to achieve, and on the other half, what the radical uh, ACT Party wants to achieve. Like that's the spectrum that they're willing to consider. So, which mm -hmm. you know, in itself, I think is a reason to have a more um, imaginative, vibrant constructive, radical vision from the Greens to change what that political imagination is. If the Greens are only, if, if the climate change proposal from the Greens is this kind of incrementalist James Shaw capitulation and consensus model, then that's the most radical thing they'll be able to understand. Like that this is the the battlefield that they've constructed and it's, mm. this is how you lose. Like this is how you, you lose the future because the most radical thing you're proposing is already in itself a capitulation to your enemies, right? They don't mm. they don't have this like antagonistic understanding and class power and you know different parts of the country have uh inherently contradictory visions and and desires and needs because they don't want to think like that like they they want to be able to have dinner with people from fonterra and not feel bad about themselves they've <laughs> inflated morality and power in this like uncomfortable liberal way and that brings us mm. back around to just the whole process itself, right? Right near the beginning of this, um, when media were just going wild, calling it a coup or an attack or yada, 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 yada. Um, we were saying, look, you know, this is just Green Party process. People will either say they're running against Shaw or not. Um, but in the end, what it will lead to is either someone that the party supports more strongly than Shaw or Shaw needing to renew his mandate with the party 
um, and the Greens coming out stronger for it with uh, some renewed vigour. And I think that's where we've ended up. Um, and you can talk about perception politics as much as you fucking want. It doesn't make it real outside of media making it real. Like, yeah, of course, if you all just flood the headlines with utter garbage, uh, that is what people are going to see. And that's what the narrative is going to be because you have made it so well fucking done. I, I mean, mm. good work. What What is your what is your role in this other than continuing a horrible basically climate denialism version of power politics well that, and that's the lion luxon thing right there. i mean that, that, you know it's it's only an issue because uh a bunch of people have decided it's an issue um even though it's a completely stupid and irrelevant uh topic but just really quickly i want to talk about the the fact that there's no one challenging Shaw. um i mean i know what you guys think about this uh maybe it won't matter maybe just the kind of symbolic uh, act of threatening to 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 take away his, his leadership post uh, is is um, enough as a kind of a signal to say, hey, you know, I mean, it seems to be based on based on that um, uh, Facebook post uh, he made that, that Philip read out. So maybe that's okay. But I also think I know it's it's kind of a, a missed opportunity. I mean, wouldn't it be good and healthy for someone even even if they end up losing, uh, even if it you know maybe create some awkward situations, uh, you know, within the party, uh, you know, uh, you've been, you've been challenged uh, by one of your MPs, you know, that's, that's going to be kind of, uh, kind of difficult to talk about, you know, around the water cooler. Sure. But I mean, wouldn't it be good to have that debate within the party about what exactly the Green Party should be doing? You know, of course, it's important to send a signal to, to show that he's, you know, that the membership feels he's disconnected, that, that they're not happy with his performance. Is climate change uh, minister, all that stuff. Yep, true. But it seems like this, this is about something much bigger. This is about the direction of the, the party, the strategy that the party is going to take. So I don't know, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity. I don't know what you guys think. I agree. I think I think even sure um, by, by mid-week gone uh, should have been encouraging one of the other caucus members to stand against him um, because... It would have been the opportunity to turn this really negative um, kind of perception politics reporting uh, into a conversation among the membership uh, that engaged the wider um, electorate. And there's already reporting in the media that more people are joining the Green Party just because of this. Um, more people are coming back to branches because of this having a conversation getting our values out there especially our like the democratic um party values out there would have been incredibly positive and it could have turned that story around it wouldn't just kind of fade into memory as this uh this little uh pr blip mm -hmm. and yeah so i think you're right i think it is a missed opportunity um but yeah it doesn't look like it's going to be yeah. going to be happening um i hope that some of the stuff that, you know, if Shaw's going to go and reconnect with the membership, I hope we get to see some of that. Um, I hope that some of those conversations do get to happen in public so that the public can see what the Greens or how the Greens operate uh, and and choose to maybe join the party or, or volunteer or whatever on that basis. Uh, because the counterfactual to that is it just kind of goes away. Um, yeah, exactly. I totally agree. I think a leadership contest would have been fantastic for all parts of the party um and it, it, it wouldn't have to like drag on and you know this isn't even a national election year we have plenty of time 
um, there, there are going to be local elections and it's going to be Christmas and the end of the year. And then there's going to be the entire next year to be able to campaign and construct that narrative. No one's going to remember this by the time we get to election year next year. There's this kind of doom and gloom reporting that thinks that the latest thing is what's going to impact the election bloody at the end of next year is really like baby brain stuff. But yeah, I think it would have been amazing to have an opportunity to construct a, a coherent vision for James or for anyone running against him, right? Any leadership contender um, and be able to say, look, all of these visions can coexist within the Green Party proper and pick one that you prefer and whichever one wins, get in behind that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And look we, at our membership, all taking part in this. Look yeah. at the level of um, kind of membership-led policy that's happening that just in the last 12 months, both Labour and National have removed from their own membership. You know, like that that's something that never gets talked about is Labour recently changing the rules within their party to give more power to the caucus, to their MPs uh, and the executive and take that directly away from their members. You know, um, didn't see like a week of coverage on that. I, still, I think it was one story. Um, well, that, that's democracy. Democracy uh, is when you centralize power among uh, <laughs> elected officials. And then anti-democracy is when uh, the membership decides that, that they're not happy with leadership and they force a, uh, a contest about it. That, that's just, just 101. That's how democracy works, right? Yeah. I mean, the Josie Pagani article I thought was really um, naked about this stuff, right? It was like, it's it's actually anti-democratic that members have this have this say um, for some for some reason because they didn't consult uh, the wider people who voted for that party. Um, Which is just like an, a, a, the obscene to, to consider, oh, this many people vote and they should all suddenly have a say in what the party's doing. No, that's not like... No. Yeah, this is the difference, <laughs> right? This is the difference between like Pagani democracy is where voters and members of a party elect MPs and then MPs are the only ones with say over who is the parliamentary leader of that party. That's Pagani democracy. Anti-democracy is where you have voters for a party and members of a party and the members have a say over who leads the party equal to the MPs. That's anti-democratic. Right, that's yeah. it's it's pretty clear that that's that's the way it works, and it's yeah, just the, the little people. It's it's crazy to let you know just people who have no uh, you know no no ribbons and and, and fancy titles to some to of these people don't even have master's degrees in political science, bro. Some of the people <laughs> haven't even done a civics class, Philip. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. Yeah, we go to- get get fucked, honestly. Yeah. Um, I well, think I mean, that- well, shout out shout out though to uh, Heather Duplessis Allen, who uh, alone among. <laughs> New Zealand's pundits uh, uh, actually actually uh, recognize that there's good reason why people are unhappy with James Shaw and actually explain uh, to people that, yeah, he, he probably does deserve to, to be uh, challenged the way he has. Although, uh, of course, you know, to, to signal that she is still a serious person, she does make clear that, yes, she uh, she thinks the left is, is stupid and crazy and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, but in this one case, in this one case, is a rare exception. Um, for those for the the loony lefties, um, so <laughs> thank you, thank you, Heather uh, Duplessis on there. Amazing, yeah. One of two hundred supports HDPA uh, <laughs> all the way. <laughs> I'm leaving that one in. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. the yeah. one. <laughs> Fuck you, Philip. <laughs> that one. That one's gonna be put when we have a, a new uh, opening. We'll, we'll yeah. just have <laughs> the various endorsements that all we've got. Embarrassing endorsements through time. Um, so. Yeah, you've alluded to um, 
Ben, right at the end, some of the ways in which uh, Shaw's climate proposals um, and, you know, the New, New Zealand's uh, climate policy has fallen short. Uh, and that's what's drawn some of um, the ire of, of people within the Green Party itself. Uh, what's happening over in the States with that stuff? Because they've yeah, just had well, some I mean, possibly quite big things occurring. Pretty big news. I mean, uh, and, I, and, you know, even though there's the United States, it does obviously, uh, they, they live in the world, they uh, deal with the same climate we do. They pump uh, uh, greenhouse gases into the same atmosphere that we're all living under. So uh, it does have uh, implications for this debate. And I think it actually really shows uh, just how badly New Zealand is failing. And unfortunately, I'm sorry to keep, keep uh, you know, uh, using them as a punching bag, but but how badly Shaw, I think, has, has done as, as climate change minister. Uh, the Democrats in the US recently revived hopes for some sort of climate uh, bill to go through. Um, and basically, uh, they struck a deal with Joe Manchin, who is the uh, coal mine owning uh, senator from West Virginia. He's a, he's a right-wing Democrat. Um, he uh, was the, the principal reason. Uh, I mean... You know, maybe a little overstated. I think there was a lot of uh, opposition within the Democratic Party uh, towards uh, Biden's big kind of uh, spending bill. Um, uh, but but he was the guy who was most vocal about it. Uh, and his holding out kind of uh, ended up being fatal. Uh, that was the, I think it was a $4 trillion bill that they were going to pass last year. If, if people remember, negotiations were going for, for months and months and months and months and it went nowhere. But... They did strike a deal with them now, um, and uh, there seems to be something that could happen. Um, the, the, the bill that was uh, released, the kind of draft text, uh, basically it would be a $370 billion investment in, in uh, climate, which is unprecedented. Um, but also the reason it's unprecedented is because the U.S. hasn't done anything on climate change basically ever, uh, and so you know anything is going to uh, be more you know is going to is going to clear that low bar. Um, but uh, as as unimpressive as it is, and as many uh, uh, terrible provisions as there are in the bill, and believe me, there are some really 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 bad things in there. That was part of the price of of getting Mansion's uh, vote. Uh, this actually would be very helpful for, for you know, uh, cutting emissions. Supposedly it will cut emissions uh, from 2005 levels by 40% by 2030. That's the, the modeling. Um, now, by contrast, I believe New Zealand's uh, goal under James Shaw is cut at 30% from 2005 levels by 2030. So, um, you know, the, the, the U.S. under Joe Biden, one of the most conservative Democrats, uh, uh, throughout the party's recent history, uh, is once again putting New Zealand to shame. In the same way that, you know, I remember last year, that stimulus bill they passed, not very good, a lot, a lot of things wrong with it, still far bolder and more ambitious than anything the Labour government did. Yeah, but if the, if the Republicans get in, they're just going to change it all around. So why bother, Bronco? <laughs> Well, you know, in this case, the bill is, it, it's largely uh, relying on kind of the demand side stuff. Well, basically, it's it's trying to rely on the market to get this stuff done, um, which is not a solution, um, but it is part of the solution. It is part of the solution. It's something. And so the, the hope is that by incentivizing 
and funding um, uh, not you know green energy infrastructure, but also a retrofitting of of, of homes and and uh, investments in various technologies and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, solar and wind will end up being um, because it's already cheaper. Uh, by by giving getting that investment boost, it'll just naturally overtake fossil fuels, and fossil fuels will become just too uh, expensive and, and and unpopular for people to bother with anymore. That's sort of the the idea. Um, unfortunately, at the same time, the bill also says you have to uh, lease millions upon millions upon millions of, of public lands and waters for oil and gas drilling. Um, so uh, it, for the rest of the decade, in fact. So the bill does this weird thing where turbocharges investment in energy, green energy infrastructure, which is huge, but it also creates a carbon bomb that is that will be catastrophic if it actually uh, ends up being uh, taken up. So this is what they mean by just transition, right? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just to the to the oil and gas companies. It will be unfair if they, you know, were completely put out of business. But it's stuff, just so. it's just to mean uh, barely. It's it's barely transitioning. <laughs> uh, it's just a transition. Um, so is that is that how they dragged uh, Joe Manchin over the line, Bronco, through um, opening up more land to drilling and um, yep. gas exploration? Okay. Yeah, that basically, uh, and they also gave him an assurance that in the next bill that they pass, uh, that they're going to do permitting reform. So basically, they're going to do they're going to make it easier and quicker for. Uh, fossil fuel infrastructure to be um, approved, which is also really which okay. directly um, benefits him, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Like I said, he's he's earning, I think, at, at least a, a few hundred thousand grand, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars a year from uh, uh, from this this coal mine that he owns. That's, <laughs> I that's mean, crazy. you can't, you can't. Uh, when you say this stuff, it sounds like a joke, but I mean, this is this is the actual. Yeah. The so actual he. Even with actual, um, you know, fossil fuel companies represented directly within the legislature, um, with everything we know that is wrong with the United States, the current goals, provided they don't capitulate once again, mm. are at least 10% better than what we're seeing in New Zealand. Well, this is exactly. Right. I mean, I mean, I wish that all of these commentators uh, who have, you know, written the same exact article for the past week would think about the fact that what what it means that a that Joe Manchin has come up with something more ambitious in terms of uh, uh, cutting emissions, uh, and and even you might say radical to some extent, than the leader of the Green Party as the Minister for Climate Change. I mean, really think about that. I mean, in, in New Zealand, we would never have the kind of um, uh, compromised position where people making laws directly profit from uh, what they're doing. Um, no. and on, an, on an unrelated note, um, Ian McKelvey stood down this week, the, uh, a National Party MP. Uh, the, main, the main thing that journalists seem to know about him is that he's a nice guy. Um, and the slightly less well-publicized thing about him is he's by far the richest MP and owns a massive amount of farmland. <laughs> um, and yeah, surprisingly, hasn't been a big fan of wealth taxes or capital gains taxes. Well, probably uh, about um, well, if agriculture hadn't been carved out of the climate uh, policy, he wouldn't have been a big fan of that either. But anyway, that sounds like related. We would never, we would never act like uh, Joe Manchin. In the- no, no. I'm just glad he's going to be fine. 
um, now that he's leaving his, his cushy power job. You know, yeah, sometimes you're not. We're all people. We're, 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 all, we're all human beings. He's such a nice yeah, guy. When you, when you leave a job, uh, you know, you don't always have something lined up afterwards, you know, yeah. and that could be a tricky, that could be a tricky transition itself uh, to, 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 you know, make ends meet while that's happening. So I'm glad it sounds like good for him. He's, he's just, found just transition a, for Ian McKelvey. Yeah, very just transition. Were there any final points you wanted to hit on the US climate stuff? Uh, that, that really is it. I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, it might not even pass. Uh, the, the, the US system obviously has so many veto points uh, that this could all just go nowhere anyway, even despite the, the, the massive uh, fossil fuel giveaway that, that's involved. Um, I will say that that the, the as terrible as it is, and, and you know, to be clear, the stuff that's in that bill can't, can't be allowed to happen because if it happens, the climate is cooked. Um, but there is a chance that, that you know, in the coming years, some of that stuff could be unraveled both through market um, changes, through solar and wind kind of becoming just far more popular and, and widely used because it's cheaper, uh, but also uh, through, uh, say, a climate emergency executive order, which Biden was sort of looking like he was going to do uh before this happened now it's not clear um hopefully the pressure remains to keep that going because you 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 can't you have to deal with the supply side stuff for fossil fuels as well so that's that's probably the last thing i would say on that the other point i guess is that us are like the western leaders on this stuff so if they're making big changes um the rest of the world is more likely to follow suit in some sense just because of the power of their markets if nothing else do you think this would have any impact on New Zealand and New Zealand policy um, in the next couple of years, if it if it did go through, yeah, I mean that's an interesting question because of, of course our politicians somehow just always find their ambition when uh, someone overseas does does something. Uh, the 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 one of the, the the obvious cases of that that always sticks in my mind is is the way that John Key you know, suddenly was for uh, marriage equality um, shortly after his, his good buddy uh, Obama came out. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it'll, um, I don't think it'll have direct um, impact on New Zealand, like policy side stuff. Maybe in the more like business community side, it might make some more changes. But I mean, that's, that's part of the, the flow on from the way that we've had uh, climate policy in New Zealand designed is it's more about um, will government and all these different sectors live up to their quote unquote obligations? Like the words are all there, right? Um, it's just about whether the country actually follows the path that it set itself. Um, and hopefully it makes it more likely that it will. But I'll be honest, this is much better than I expected under Joe Biden or Joe Manchin. Like, um, I don't want to just doom our way through a, another climate segment because this is honestly better than I would have seen coming. Yeah. This is a, if, if this passes, it's a fighting chance, I think. Um, and in terms of effects in New Zealand, I think um, people should think about the fact that that people here, you know, people in power, should think about okay, if all this money is going to be going towards the the the, the kind of in, the green energy sector in the U.S. and there's going to be companies starting, there's going to be a lot of business happening, you know, the stuff is going to snowball. Um, do we want to uh, end up being reliant on foreign companies, or do we want to maybe uh, take this opportunity to to shore up our own Green energy sector to 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 you know have an actual good uh, uh, strong uh, green energy sector here at home that we can actually uh, uh, use to, to 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 transition ourselves rather than being at the mercy of foreign companies and 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 also where that means the wealth that 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 we're investing um, stays in New Zealand not 
going overseas. I mean, I think that's something to think about because I imagine all these companies are going to be, you know, once they're set up and 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 going gangbusters, uh, if this passes, you know, they're going to be looking for for market opportunities in, in other places beyond beyond the United States. So, you know, yeah, I think that's something that, that people should keep uh, keep in mind here. Fantastic. The most positive end to a climate conversation we've ever had on, the, <laughs> on, on one of 200. Um, I think that's been another week. Thanks for joining me, boys. Cheers. Always, always good. If you've enjoyed this, give it a share around. Um, let people know that there's independent, uh, progressive, left-wing, whatever you want to call us, media out there um, analyzing the current events of the week, uh, both New Zealand and abroad. There's a Patreon link down in the summary. Uh, send us a few dollars if you want to support us and help us continue to exist. Uh, but honestly, just sharing around Twitter, getting us uh, a larger audience is incredibly helpful as well. We'll catch you again maybe midweek, maybe on the weekend. That's been another episode of One of 200. We'll see you later. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism